0: This is the scrum possible podcast true stories from real people making scrum possible i'm kelly fide so brad and joe welcome to the show
1: good to be here happy to be here
0: and i'm really happy to have you guys because this show is a special show today which is it's a launch party for your book. So why don't you start by telling our listeners, what's the title of your book and what's it about?
2: It is Human-Centered Agile, a unified approach for better outcomes. And it is about combining human-centered design methods with agile product development.
0: Okay, I have so many questions about that. And I'm not even going to pretend I know anything about human-centered design, although I've, I've done a little bit of interesting reading about that in the past. So, how about if we start with s- the basics of, first off, like what's your layperson's description of what's human-centered design, and then what's, what was the other side, agile product development? And why are you bringing these two together? Let's start there.
2: Brad, why don't you start with HCD?
1: I I will start by picking up HCD, yeah. Um, Human-centered design, design in general uh, is the intentional creation of some product or experience or outcome that that you're trying to get. So when you build something, you are hoping that someone changes their behavior, does something differently, uh, has a new attitude or a new feeling about something. That is sort of at the heart of what design is. Human-centered design is making sure that you are actually checking in with users throughout the design and delivery of a product. So uh, if you think of human-centered design, one way we talk about it is it's the combination of design and research. And the research is putting your actual customers, your actual users, uh, checking in with them Throughout the life cycle of your delivery, all the way from discovery at the very beginning where you're trying to understand, you know, what do they want? What do they need? What problems can you solve for them? Uh, All the way through the end when you deliver a product and you do things like usability testing and evaluation and the kinds of testing that you do to make sure that you are about to release something good or have released something good. And there's a number of steps along the way that we talk about in the book. So we talk about uh, ideation and how to actually come up with your concepts um, using all of your user learnings. Uh, we talk about concept validation, where you have some ideas about how you might want to solve a problem for someone and you actually want to test that. Uh, solution validation, where you actually are trying to make sure that something that you've built is performing the way that you think it ought to. So there's any number of steps, each one involves checking back in with the user. So they stay in the center of the frame. Mm -hmm. It's not design based on, you know, uh, it's not technology led design. It's Mm -hmm. not just trying to show off what a technology can do. Mm -hmm. It's not hippo design where like someone has a vision and it is your job to execute one person's vision end to end. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are, you are trying to be responsive and thoughtful about what the user experience is that you're creating all along the way and, and validate as you go.
0: The thing that stands out to me is how the user is involved every step of the way. How yeah, much?
1: and and yeah, yeah the, the idea is that there are, there are really, there are key moments that you actually want to go in and check and we say every step of the way. In practice, um, we talk about figuring out what the stakes are of your research so that you are checking you know, if you have a concept that is going to be expensive to build, uh, we say one of the one of the most expensive ways to find out whether something is working is to build production-level code. Um, there are easier ways to find out if a concept is going to work. There are easier ways to find out whether you are even building something that someone wants or needs than building production-ready software. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we're trying to move a lot of that insight that you get from your users further upstream where it's less expensive and Mm -hmm. where you have a chance to actually Mm
0: -hmm. change
1: your decision-making.
0: Hearing you say that, I feel like I'm bleeding money because I have bled money in that scenario (laughs) in the past. Like, let's just write production-level code and then a ton of money later, it's like, oh, that's not what they wanted, (laughs) okay. So that's human centered design and sorry, you were going to add on something.
1: No, no, no. I I was just going to say that I think that's, you know, not an uncommon experience. That's, you know, waiting until you've actually built a whole product, even an MVP of one and releasing it to find out whether you hit a home run or whether you struck out. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a lot of investment to make. And even within that agile framework, you're still, you're still doing a lot of work before you get any response.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's human-centered design on the one hand. So now over to Joe. What the heck is Agile product development?
2: So it's it's everything that, that you've probably been using. Scrum, it's Kanban, it's safe, it's iterative development. But a lot of times teams that do this in the traditional sense, they're all about we're going to build something and we're going to deliver it to the user, and then we're going to get some feedback, and then we're going to maybe build some more or maybe make a pivot decision. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing about adding human-centered design to it is, as as Brad has indicated, you have opportunities to use all sorts of lightweight prototypes that you can build quickly and inexpensively Mm -hmm. that make your delivery stronger from the very first one.
0: But let me ask you, hasn't Agile been trying to do that all along?
2: You know, it, it depends. It, it's a bell curve, and it depends on what team you're working with, what they're working on, and, and honestly, what kind of access they have to users. How much does their product owner know? Mm. Did, did the product owner come up in the space? Or, are, are they a real SME and an expert, and, and do they know everything? Uh, mm-hmm. or, or Or maybe they're a little bit less experienced, and maybe in addition to that condition, your users are sequestered away and you don't have access to them. That is where human-centered agile can really help.
1: I think one of the distinctions that we make, um, especially early in the book, is that uh, Agile tends to focus its attention more on the solution space than on the problem space, on Mm -hmm. how you're going to deliver something, Mm -hmm. how it's going to get executed from, you know, this is what we're going to build to it got built and, you know, collecting whatever sort of feedback that you're collecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Human-centered design pushes you up into the problem space. It pushes you up into the that area where you're actually figuring out, okay, are these real problems? Uh, are these solutions good solutions? Um, so that they start working together. The, the reason that we think they work together really well, and, and we've experienced this, is that there is enough of a similar mindset, enough of a desire to learn as early and efficiently as possible, mm-hmm. that you know these, these two uh, methodologies can talk to each other and can work with each other very successfully.
0: Hmm. So let's go to why you wrote the book in the first place. You believe that those two methodologies can work together successfully. So that leads me to guess that maybe they haven't been working together as successfully as they could. Tell me more about that.
2: It's harder than it looks okay. to, to, to blend, to, to blend the two sometimes.
1: I So I'll, I'll say this. I've been a designer for 20 years and I've been working within agile uh, delivery teams and, and programs for about 15 of those years. Mm-hmm. And my experience has been that every time I get put on a team or a program, depending on you know what role I'm filling, uh, the first thing I have to do is kind of teach my team what human-centered design is. Mm-hmm. Why do we want to do ideation and lateral thinking? Why do we want to do concept validation? Why do we want to actually show products to users? And when do we want to do it? And so this, this pattern of, of needing to teach the team, this is how you work with someone like me, with a designer, um, was a big motivation for me to write the book. I, I want to you know have an explanation for Agilus and PMs, and, it, like what we do, how we do it, and and how to actually install it on your program. It, the, the main thing is to make it feel like it is not either a whole front-loaded effort that you do before the agile starts and mm-hmm. before the real work or the development starts, um, nor is it something where you're going to get stuck in design and learning loops forever because that's what, uh, that's what people fear. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah. there's, there's often kind of that initial resistance where people... Think, oh, I'm bringing in designers and they're not going to stop until they think it's perfect or
2: they're just going to slow us down.
1: Yeah. Like, how much do we have to do anyway and how much do we have to do anyway is a big focus of our book, because we want teams Mm -hmm. to be able to move forward um, in in smart and efficient ways. Um, and be able to learn, you know, that these things are likely to work for us. These things are giving us warning flags that we need to follow up on Hmm. and be able to make decisions at key times and not just sort of wait until the end and, and find out, oh, you know, maybe we should have done it a whole other way.
0: Hmm. How has the methodology of marrying these two been received by the teams that you both have worked with?
2: Um, you know, at, at first, there, there's some, some forming and storming that, that goes on. There's, there's some initial skepticism from, from the Agile folks. Hey, are, are, are these designed? For the, they're going to slow us down, right? And, and also from the Agile teams, you get sometimes some resistance because we, we plan our research. You can't always do all of the research that you need inside of a two-week sprint. So you're going to be interacting with some users. You're going to be getting some, some insight, recording it, analyzing it. And sometimes Agile teams freak out about that and, and they say, well, wait a minute, we're, we're not going to consume the, the output of that story for another sprint, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's not agile. The scrum police are going to come and get you. <laughs> and, and, and so there's there's some, some learning involved there that, hey, you know, this is really going to make us uh, go faster. It is going to make our, our product better. It's going to be better received by our users. And you, you kind of have to get a couple of sprints into it in order for the teams to say, oh, okay, now I kind of see what you're getting at.
1: So you had asked a question about bringing human-centered design into Agile. Yes. Um, and the way that I'm I'm thinking about this question is, what is it like to onboard human-centered design onto an Agile uh, program? And there are a number of answers as to, to what makes that work or not work. So... A lot of times what, what programs or teams will do, uh, or even organizations will do, um, is sort of take the, the hardest possible approach, which is to just get some human-centered designers, some user experience people, and throw them onto teams. Um, and everyone sort of has to sink or swim based on how well that person is working with that team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: but there are better strategies for success you know, the, there are things that uh, leadership can do to show support and to show that there's a shift in mindset. Having, having leadership support is a big factor, sort of, mm-hmm. for, for success at an organizational level. And being willing to have a, that experimental mindset, if you have that already with your Agile and it's, it's actually happening, then HCD can sort of fit and shift in there. Uh, a willingness to, to think of the problem space and work done in the problem space as valid and legitimate work like that sometimes teams uh, or programs get trapped in the thinking that the only actual work is coding Um, Mm -hmm. and everything else is is work that supports or is around the work but is somehow less essential Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a you know that's a mindset that doesn't always uh lend itself to bringing in other kinds of work and and Other kinds of work have come into Agile successfully. If you think of like testing and making sure that your systems are, you know, continuously available, there's a lot of like DevOps that have been brought into Agile over time. Uh, There's no reason that other, you know, other types of work can't be brought in as part of the work, as part of the essential work of Mm -hmm. doing good delivery. So there's Um, a
0: history there.
1: Yeah, no, there absolutely is. When when I was starting as a as a designer and before that as a front-end coder, um QA was always the thing that got the the short end of this. Oh day. yeah.
0: <laughs> and and
1: whenever whenever time or money or anything got tight, uh QA was almost always the the first thing at, you know thrown off, thrown overboard. And that has changed over the course of my career. That you know QA and making sure that you know that you are writing robust and and code that works and succeeds and and goes out the door successfully um, has become a much much larger and and more stable process Uh, that happened because people made room for it and people understood the value of it Mm -hmm. Uh, what we're trying to do is have people understand the value of what we're doing as part of the delivery life cycle not as something besides the delivery life cycle
0: yeah, that seems like an important distinction. And and as I look over at you, Joe, I'm wondering what it took to get you convinced. Was it a hard sell or an easy sell?
2: Oh no, it it, it was it was a hard sell to get me into a room so that I could see HCD in action. Mm. And 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 so so the way it worked was that uh, Brad and I both worked for competing consulting companies, but we had a common client and the client was getting some some good traction with hcd and they were getting some good traction with agile and safe and an executive called us and said hey you know i want to combine the two i I want i want chocolate and peanut butter so get get your guys and and go over and hang out with this group that's that's using hcd really well and and so we got off the phone with them and we opened up Google and we typed, what is HCD? And we <laughs> kind of figured it out. And okay, well, this doesn't sound so bad. So we're going to go and, and we're going to listen, but we're going to take our, take our laptops in case we're bored. And, and we, we, we got to the event and it was unbelievable. It was the, at the time it was the best PI planning that I had ever seen. Mm. and the, the morning briefings were, were all about, hey, how this, how is this going to impact our end users? And this is what we, we've talked, we've actually talked to our end users, and this is what they had to say, and these are their pain points and, and their mm-hmm. priorities and what they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so then the directive was to for, for Brad's company and my company to kind of collaborate, and that's how uh, we we started, you know, thinking about, hey, we sh- we should write a book on this. Mm-hmm.
0: What was the funnest thing about that PI planning for both of you?
2: I'm not sure Brad was actually yeah, there. No, no,
1: no. That that that's Joe's story of introduction. I was not actually at that PI planning. Okay.
2: It it, it was. I think it was another another group that was that was doing HCD, but but they were doing it uh, utterly brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think our, our first interaction was was at a pre PI planning. And I, I remember distinctively Brad stood up and started talking about acceptance criteria. And he, he got my attention because I'm normally the guy that does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, hey, I, I caught what you were talking about in there. That was pretty neat. Let's go get a sandwich or something. And so we've been hanging out. It was three years ago and we've been hanging out ever since.
0: And the rest is history.
1: <laughs> and the rest is very recent history.
0: Very recent, yes so what was the um most interesting thing for each of you about writing this book together
2: um i i thought that i knew something about hcd before i started writing the book but i was taken to school
0: (laughs) what did you learn
2: Uh, more than i have time to to tell you about right now but uh I guess if I could boil it down, I would say that HCD is as much a mindset as Agile is. You know, we, uh-huh. we coach people all the time. And we, we, we talk about the mindset. I think HCD is a mindset as well. Passing. I'm curious what Brad thinks. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I, I think so, because your goal is to uh, learn uh, how users are are using your product or might use a potential product, how they're feeling, how they're thinking. And throughout the process, you are, you are still then looking to understand, validate, understand, validate. And that mm-hmm. becomes your, you know, your approach to doing this. Um, so getting people, I, I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that should be uh, one of the easier wins of this is that as in HCD, you're really concerned with the outcome. Mm-hmm. And your Agile team should also really be concerned with the outcome. You know, we write user stories as a user so that I can um, because we want to show that these things are not just, you know, uh, features and code that's being built. It's actually serving a purpose. And you want to know whether it's serving that purpose. Um, Getting your team aligned to solving the user's problem rather than solving the problem of, you know, expedient delivery or, you know, something like that, is is where the mindsets meet
0: but how do you balance those two sides because you need both right so how do you i guess play them off against each other and how do you make judgments and decisions on how much to do of one side and how much to do of the other
1: so for for how much to do upfront, if if you think about like the work stream there's there's the early part the mid part the later part Mm -hmm. um what you're doing is figuring out what the stakes of your decisions are at each step so if you're deciding whether you want to build a product at all um you're thinking about okay how much will it cost how you know how much uh exposure will this get or or maybe a feature how many users will it touch how central is it to their experience um if we did it wrong uh, is there a reputational cost to us? Is there a morale cost to the team? like what is the actual what are the stakes of mm. that kind of work? okay um, as as you move along, the stakes change. The trick is to get the team sort of holistically involved in the problem that you're trying to solve and the potential solutions for solving it. So uh, if you can get everyone thinking in an outcome driven way, uh, the team then starts thinking, okay, we could build, you know, this feature, how, how much will it be? What, what would it look like if we were wrong and and how bad would that be? And that sometimes that happens. Um, I was working on one product where we were trying to figure out a better way to get information from users, um, from, from the customers. And the idea that was floated, which sounded really great to everybody was a chatbot, right? Like th- this was a few years back, chatbots were coming everywhere. They, they were, a uh, a technology that were top of mind, people were getting used to it. Um, And what we learned, because we did some testing really early on, was because of the kind of information we were asking for, Mm -hmm. people did not want to use chat at all. They wanted to talk to a human. Mm -hmm. And it felt like having a a technical interface for things that were were personal or potentially sensitive to the user, Mm -hmm. uh, that felt too risky to them to want to do.
0: Interesting.
1: we knew early on to to pivot away from that without having gone through the whole effort of of building it and and building like the language processing that would have gone behind it and yeah. and everything else because our users simply would not have used it um, and that was a clear finding.
0: That's really interesting, and it, it it reminds me of kind of a related question that I have. Um, you know, I have the impression that you're checking with users throughout the process. But what I've discovered, at least from the side of my experience in agile product development, is that when I've tried to do that leading product development initiatives, I found that users are notoriously poor predictors of their own behavior. You're nodding. So tell me what's going through your head as you're nodding.
1: So it, it's a little hard to just ask someone. Here, here's a nice sounding product. Would you use it? People, yeah. people it's want like... to be, uh, you know, helpful and supportive. They yeah. kind of want to say yes. It's not real to them. So the things up, you know, in that discovery process that you're really looking for, are you're looking for attitudes and behaviors around what they're doing now, and trying to sort of project. Okay, if if we change this in this way. Uh, will it help them? But, you know, you, you get a sense of uh, what their pain points are, what delights them. And, and you talk to them about their actual experience today. Um, and you use that to try to project uh, what sort of product might work for them. Um, you can go in with problem validation. You can say, hey, it really sounded like you were getting stuck on this step. You, you love your, your movie streaming platform but you're really irritated by how scrolling and finding stuff works and you wish it were better. Is that true or not? And, and people will tell you. They'll, they'll give you that sort of sense of what they want. Um, and then as you move downstream, you're validating and checking in. So you make models of the product that you're going to show. And you can ask questions like, well, how would you use this? How does this differ from what you're already using? And making it real... And giving them a chance to talk both or or giving yourself a chance to talk both about their attitudinal response and also their behavioral response to what you're doing gives you a much clearer picture about how is this actually working for someone.
0: Hmm. That makes sense. Uh, And I'm still curious, actually, to go back to the theme of convincing people. And I'm curious to hear from maybe both of you, but let's start with Joe. Have you ever worked with a team where people just weren't drinking the Kool-Aid, they just didn't necessarily want to be involved with human-centered design, I'm a developer, I like to write code, just leave me alone and let me write my code. How did you approach it? Have you ever seen that and how did you approach it?
2: I I have almost never not seen that. Okay.
0: <laughs> that's <my idea. sighs>
2: And, and and you know it's a it's a real challenge because a, a lot of times there is sort of built in hostility from from the the agile team that that see hey this, who who are all these designers coming oh wait a minute i've got i've got i de- i'm supposed to deliver this by the end of the sprint these guys aren't going to slow me down and that i think is the root of of the big fear that that i i have seen
0: how do you alleviate that fear
2: um you have to you have to go through the sprints and you have to do the delivery and you have to do the demos and get the feedback and let them see that it really works let them it, see it's, it it's an ex, it's an experiment in agile just like everything in agile is an experiment
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i do so joe and i um wrote a safe white paper not too long ago about bringing uh, bringing HCD onto uh, projects at scale. And one of the things that we point out is that you can actually do some change management, some communications ahead of time and talk mm-hmm. about why you're doing what you're doing, uh, where the value points are. So there is you know, there is some work you can do to try to get teams to understand rather than just like, here's your HCD person and they're going to tell you uh, what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... You know, as, as a designer, as a UX person, a lot of times we find that we get our, we get our easiest points of entry through usability testing, through people actually uh, looking at a product that the developers have built and, being, mm-hmm. and bringing developers, BAs, really anyone on the team into those kind of sessions where they get to see people using their product and they get to experience what that's like. So it, it stops being abstract. And it mm-hmm. stops being a bunch of decisions about what's easiest to do. Uh, and it's the conversation shift to, well, what's actually helping people? What's getting in their way? And, and that becomes visceral fairly quickly. Um, once you have some, you know, some product improvements that have happened because you talk to users or once developers have a sense of what users actually think rather than just being sort of an abstract entity out there, then you start getting a much better response. So, you know, having, having the whole team brought in through whatever testing you're doing, and, and this happens in content validation, it can happen in discovery. Like, you can bring uh, your technical folks in through the research that you do. You definitely want to bring them in through the, the early ideation and design that you do. One of the other places that you can get uh, good feedback or, or good uh, team cohesion is by bringing them into your design uh, ideation processes. So, you know, they come in with one set of knowledge, you come in hopefully with another set of knowledge, design best practices, user research, whatever it is. And then you start saying, how can we solve this problem together? Hmm. It, you, you lay out what the problem is, you invite the team to start solving it. And then you start asking the questions, how are we gonna measure this? How are we gonna know if we did a good job? Uh, and And get the team invested in not just Did we deliver the thing? But is the thing actually working? Is it doing what we hoped it would do?
0: Hmm. Interesting. So from an agile perspective, how do you work those activities in? Do you integrate them into the agile events like sprint planning, for example, daily standup? Are they separate meetings? Just from a practical angle, what works?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not a separate or a dual track thing at all. It is a holistic integration of HCD throughout the end-to-end process.
0: Okay.
1: So one way that that plays out is you, you may have ideation sessions where you say, okay, here's here's the problem that we're looking to solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, how might we do it? And, and get people into a room and have a workshop. Um, and it, it's a team workshop. It may be a standalone event. You may, if you're doing enough small work, you may decide that you have a standing meeting for mm-hmm. you know, ideation with developers. It can be an additional uh, ceremony or event that, that you hold. It doesn't necessarily have to be. The, the point is just that you do it, that you actually get everyone together to do it. Usually once you get past the concept part, the rest of it happens through whatever your refinement uh, events are. So if you have people... You know, gathered to to write or to evaluate stories, or you know, whatever it is that you're doing as a team to make sure that that work is is being uh, written and tracked and everything else. Everyone's in the room and everyone's talking about it. One of the key things that happens is that you start having better visual references, mm. and you get a much better shared understanding because you have designers in there. Um, it's not just like the story and the AC and whatever comes out that meets those AC is correct because that's, that's all it was. But that's what um, the
0: agile police say.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. so the risk of that is that your product owner or someone else that is, you know, sitting at a leadership level says, yes, but not like that. That's not what I meant. Right. And you end up going back to the drawing board anyway. Um, you know, it's teams get a lot more confident when they feel like they have a good shared understanding mm-hmm. and they have a good shared understanding when everyone's looking at the same screens or the same experiences and saying, yep, that's what we're doing. Rather than here are the functions that whatever we do has to do. Um,
2: right. The fo- focus on the outcome rather than, well, got, got, got to look at got to get a good looking burn down chart. Right? Oh, I got all the, I got all the stories done. So therefore, I did a good delivery.
0: Yeah, there's a big difference there. So how is the book structured and how should people read it? Should they go from start to finish? Does it have to be linear? Tell me why you're laughing.
1: Oh, I, I, my brain just processed that question in the most literal way possible. Okay, okay <laughs> go for it. Um. So we structured the book so that if you need a walkthrough of HCD in general, design and then HCD, uh, we have that in about the first third or so of the book so that okay. you can understand, you know, if, if you're bringing HCD people in, here are, the, here are the types of activities that they're likely to want to do, and here's when they're likely to want to do them, and here's the artifacts that you're likely to get. And when you do these activities, Here's the purpose of them. Here's the risk you're going to mitigate or the value that you're going to get by having done these things. So we just sort of okay. give everyone a little primer on HCD uh, right up front.
0: Which I then appreciate to... coming from an agile background because I'm sort of an HCA, a human-centered design wannabe, but I can't claim to know much. So that sounds useful. So then what's after that?
1: So after that, we start folding it in. Uh, Joe, why don't, you, why don't you take it from there?
2: I, I was going to talk about, uh, we, we talk about measuring the stakes and figuring out how much HCD you need based on the, the risk of the delivery you're doing, oh, right? I,
0: that sounds really important. How do you measure the stakes?
1: So we,
2: you, oh. No, go ahead, Brad.
1: You do a risk analysis, essentially. You, okay. you think about the thing that you're going to build, you know, how, how costly will it be to build? How costly will it be to maintain? What are, we talked about the stakes a little earlier in the podcast, like what are all the things that you need to be thinking about that are, that go along with what you're going to build? And then you decide, okay, is this the sort of thing that we need to actually learn about before we launch? So I think a lot of times when people think about agile, they sort of think about what startups look like a little bit, where like, you have an idea for a product and a team builds an MVP and then it gets released to a fairly small audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of your friends and family release and it kind of doesn't matter at that point. Cause you didn't have that many people and you're not showing it to that many people. If you got it wrong, then that's okay. You come back, you take that learning, you build the next thing and you build it better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as you scale up or as, as the organizations that you work with get bigger, That's a much harder thing to do. It is. You can't really just say like, "Okay, we're going to build it, and you know what? If it didn't work, that's okay. That's that's learning for you." (laughs) It's not okay. Right. Right. And and so that feeling that you're having is is an understanding that there are different stakes for different kinds of projects and releases. Hmm. Um, And once you understand that, you figure out, okay, what are your what are your risks? Like, Mm -hmm. what happens? what ways are is the experience you know likely to be risky what don't we already know uh, and what happens if those pieces go wrong mm-hmm. and so if you if you're building something and you have no idea how your users will feel about it that's kind of a risk you might want to check in on that right so um, when you put it
0: that, that way yeah
1: <laughs> well it, it, it really sometimes feels that simple. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, mm-hmm. you can either build a whole bunch of production-ready software and then learn that you didn't get it right. And there are ways. I don't mean to move past the, the fact that there are ways, even in just building software, to to lower the stakes. You can do A-B tests. You can do yeah. pilot tests. You can You can roll out slowly. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do. But you still have to build the production-ready code in order to do that. You still have to go through a lot of work to mm-hmm. get just to that point uh, before you learn anything. So we're we're interested in figuring out: okay, when do you need to learn, and how much is the right amount of research to do um, before you move forward? And that's you know th- that's what the that's what the goal is: is to make sure that you're you're sort of doing the right size, the right level of effort uh in research just as you would for uh coding and building or okay. design for
0: that matter. So what's that second part of the book called? The first part is human centered so, design, the second one. So I think
2: there are uh I think there's we've got it set up into uh uh parts and then and then chapters under the parts so i guess the, the first third is getting your getting your way get, getting your your bearings under you about what is hcd uh we talk about stakes then we talk about managing uh design ops and research ops we talk about how that scales as your program starts to, to get big and as your stakes change and you got more practitioners how, how does it change and what does that look like and then, then we have several chapters on okay, if you've got a really big program and you're using Safe, mm-hmm. how do you fold this into Safe? Because you know Safe, safe is in the Agile world a, a kind of it's its own beast. Mm-hmm. So we, we've we've spent a lot of time on that. And then we close out with a chapter on metrics. Okay. H- how do you, how do you measure the value delivery? And then the last chapter is kind of a fun. A uh, fun fictional case study of a of a company that uh, you know started out you know a couple of guys in a garage grew 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 and how how would they use HCD in in combination with, with agile in their business and mm-hmm. and we we did that just to sort of illustrate and tie together a lot of the concepts in the book.
0: I think I'm going to skip to the end and read that part first. It sounds really like a good jumping off place actually. So, what would you guys say was the hardest part about writing this book together or writing the book at all?
2: Writing the book.
0: Writing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: writing writing the book was definitely the hardest part of writing the book. Um, so, I, I will say this, Joe. I, I will tell on you a little bit. When we first started this project, uh, Joe thought we were going to be done in eight months. Oh. Um, we, oh. We, Easily. Yeah, with, with, with breathing room. That was, that was like the comfort. <laughs> and, and this was
2: not my first book either. So I, I'd been around this block before and and I've got scars to prove it. And I, yeah. So three years later, here we are. Here we are.
1: Um, I, I will say like learning how to make sure that we are uh, writing both in the same voice because we have very different writing voices. Mm. Uh, and also that we're writing in a way that is responsive to both a design and an agilist a, and PM audience and, and making mm-hmm. sure that we're sort of calibrated, that this is easy to consume for mm-hmm. uh, for those different audiences. That was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you yeah. know, I think just the fact that we started writing this book because we had a world of ideas and and we had like Joe and I spent hours and hours and hours talking before we ever started writing. And that didn't go away as we were writing the book. So you know, at one point the book was about 50% larger than it ended up being. And we just had to think about like, okay, what's, what's actually essential. What's actually helpful. Yeah. What are, what are, what are our digressions and diversions that that sounded fun and they were great to write and talk about, but they really didn't fit the book. Mm-hmm. Um, that was... We had
2: some spectacular feedback, so, some uh, very generous people for, from both the agile and design communities took time to read it and give us uh, in, you know, in, in some cases, some serious feedback. So it was refactored a couple of times.
1: Yeah, you know, we just talked about the structure of the book, where first it's a primer on HCD, and then it talks about how to fold it in and then scale it up. Um, mm-hmm. And getting to that structure actually took a few tries too, because we we sort of originally tried to do it the opposite, where we talked about bringing it in, um, and then building the the like here's what you need to know about HCD along the way and that was not a good uh, clear approach so there was there was figuring out how to structure this and how to communicate what we wanted to
0: that was a uh,
1: that was a challenge for sure
0: agile experimentation it sounds like it,
1: we, <laughs> we got feedback and we iterated so, and and we didn't wait until we released to do it
0: uh, there you go yay <laughs> <laughs> So who is this book for? Like, who are your top two or three user personae?
2: Yeah, so, so that's a good question. Um, when we started writing the book, we maybe had multiple audiences in, in mind. We, we thought that it was going to be a book for agilists, uh, okay. program managers, product managers, and designers. And, and I think that what we ended up I- with is more a book for product management, and agilists, probably a little bit more than for designers. Brad, would you agree?
1: Yeah, I I think for designers, I I think this is a valuable book if you are, pardon me, I'm going to start that one over. Uh, I think this is a valuable book if you're a designer, but the value is in the way that the conversations are framed and being able to sort of bring someone through the the thought process without having to uh, come up with all this yourself. So being able to say, okay, here's, you know, here's a structure for thinking about this that I can that I can show to someone else. There are what I hope are some very useful design ideas or about how to run design within Agile that I think designers uh, might benefit from. But overall, it's being able to have a good structured conversation, a conversation that Agilists and PMs can relate to and understand, um, rather than just sort of talking airily about what design does. I think that's a trap that, that we designers sometimes fall into. Hmm. Um, so I, I do think there's there's value here for designers. I think it is primarily for uh, Agile's and PMs and, and anyone interested in the running of an organization that's doing this.
0: So if people wanted to try applying some of this, in addition, of course, to looking at the book, are there any things like roadshow decks or marketing decks or things like that that they could download from your website or any job aids or should they go straight to the book and pull from there?
2: Well, so it's it's very interesting because what you have just done is articulated our backlog. So for now what they should what I'd what they like should do is, is buy the book. no... Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, cuz cuz I'm thinking I want to use it and it's a whole book and like everybody else I'm busy. Um so if I want to apply it would it work for me to skim whatever I need to skim until I understand enough and then go to whichever section could help me practically apply it?
2: You you will you will figure it out I- immediately. We we have uh, even before the book begins, we we've got a how to use this book. Okay. Uh what, which section covers what, where are you going to want to go for for this or or that. And you'll be able to go through it and you'll be able to find out exactly what the parts are that that you want to read first and what the parts are that you're going to want to go back to again and again and reread.
0: Okay. Like the map at the mall. You are here, but if you want to go over there to buy tennis shoes or whatever, go over there yeah okay you
1: you should be able to find out our thoughts on like okay how does team topology work at certain Mm -hmm. scale or how do you build a research roadmap so that you can actually Mm -hmm. you know plan your your research work in accordance with your with your product roadmap and and do that in an intelligent way we have a little section on how to write a research story that is a little different than Mm -hmm. your dev story like we have a lot of uh, functional, actionable advice in here that we hope people can can find the value in, in addition to sort of the conceptual mm-hmm. framework of doing this.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're both useful and they both need each other, I'm sure. So if people want to buy the book, uh, where can they go and when will it be available?
2: It, it, the, the release date has changed a couple of times. I think it is right now August 23rd. Okay. It is Brad August 23rd. It is on Amazon. Uh, yeah, it is available now.
1: for pre-order.
0: Okay, um, pre-order and tell us the title again.
2: It is human-centered agile, a unified approach for better outcomes.
0: Okay, great. Reminds me of the title of RUP, the unified rational unified <laughs> process, but hopefully this will be more usable than than RUP.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, uh, although RUP was a good start, right?
2: It's, it's one amigo easier to use one because amigo. Brad and I are just, we're the two amigos. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, less complexity. That, that sounds a little more approachable. Um, so thank you, guys. I've really, truly enjoyed uh, having you on the show. And I feel like my own journey around human-centered design as an agile is, is really just beginning. So thank you for getting me started.
2: Th- thank you for having us. It's, it's a pleasure being here. I, I do want to say if people would like to reach out or communicate with us, uh, I'm Joe at Human-Centered Agile, and he is Brad at Human-Centered Agile.
1: And we are also findable on LinkedIn. Um, you can find that we are, we are in the process of setting up our book website, humancenteredagile.com, which presently just directs you to Amazon, uh, but we'll soon have more information, such as podcasts, that Ooh. we can – right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we we will have more forthcoming. This is this is not our our last uh, effort with mm-hmm. this idea.
0: Wow, more to come and good things to come. I'm looking forward to it most definitely. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Thank Great. You, Kelly.
2: Thank you. Talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for joining me today on Scrum Possible. I appreciate you being part of our community. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to stay updated. Your support means a lot and helps others find me. Don't forget to leave a review if you can. Your feedback is really valuable. And please do share my podcast with your friends. And remember, there's a whole library of past episodes with more content you'll love. I look forward to having you with me next time. Until then, stay curious and keep listening. I'm Kelly Fiday.